check this out. I know it's deep, but when you keep your finest chest, yeah. Jesus spoke God a man, 200%, yeah. Fully defined, fully human, introducing the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. I know it's deep, but when you keep your finest chest, yeah. Jesus spoke God a man, 200%, yeah. Fully defined, fully human, introducing the hypostatic union, yeah. A topic of discussion is beyond human comprehension. The infinite God has made a super condescension. The kind of vengeance nobody could have anticipated. Precipitated by the evil. Good morning. So the name of that song was Hypostatic Union by Shylin. And uh, the reason I played that song is because uh, Elder Kent Scott is in love with rap music. And he loves that song and asked me to play that. He's not here this week. So next week, make sure you ask him what his favorite rap song is. And he will spend tons of time going through that with you guys. And I'm bummed to find out that this set was not built just for me. Because <laughs> that would be awesome. All right, so we are in our, what, fourth week of our series, The Apostles' Creed. If you remember, this creed is found nowhere in the Bible. So if you search in the Bible for Apostles' Creed, you just won't find it. Pastor Nate told us a couple weeks ago that uh, by reading this creed doesn't make you magically Christian. It doesn't save you. You can't trick somebody into being saved by reading this creed. Pastor Jonathan told us last week that uh, we're in a world full of people who don't know what they believe. Pastor Vance said that uh, we use this creed to help define the doctrinal things that we believe. So we're going to dig deeper today. We are going to... uh, to be going through uh, the creed again, a section of the creed. But I wanted to start off today by all of us reading the creed together. So I think we have a slide for that. So let's all read this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of the heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So last week we learned about Christ, or Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. And this week we're going to be studying who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's right, guys. It's Christmas in July. I love Christmas. If you were to talk to our staff or talk to my family, uh, they would tell you how much I love Christmas. November 1st is when Christmas music starts to play in the office. Now, again, if you talk to the staff, they will roll their eyes if you mention that to them because the Christmas music I listen to is a little bit different. 
Um, but we all have our own ideas of what Christmas music is. So I'm going to make some guesses of what maybe your Christmas music is that you like to listen to. And I'm going to go by generations. So this should be fun. You guys ready? So the builder generation, you probably, when you think of Christmas music, you're probably thinking of some Nat King Cole, you know, some good Christmas music, the boomer generation. Now, when you guys were kids, this would have been really popular. A little Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas. <laughs> a little Charlie Brown Christmas. That was it. Now for me, I'm a, I'm a Xer. And so for me, I think of Mariah Carey. Mm. No better Christmas music. No better Christmas music. Millennials were probably rocking out to Taylor Swift or some Kelly Clarkson Christmas albums. But for me, guys, the best Christmas music that you can listen to is Christmas dubstep. Now, for those of you who have no idea what Christmas dubstep is, think of, think of Let It Snow, you know that song, Let It Snow, and then Boots and Pants in it. You know, Boots and Pants, Boots and Pants, Boots and Pants, and Boots. That is the greatest Christmas music. If you still have questions, about Christmas dubstep, come see me after the service and I will introduce you to the best Christmas music there is. All right, back on topic, sorry. I have ADD and I can go down some rabbit, some, some, some rabbit trails. See, I just combined the two words. All right, so I want everyone to open your Bible. We're gonna go to Luke 1, 26 through 37. So as you're going there in your Bible, I want you guys to, to think about like, what is your favorite Bible? Like, do you have a favorite Bible? Like, what makes it your favorite Bible? I have a favorite Bible. One of my uh, pastors uh, showed me this Bible, and I just fell in love with it. I love it because uh, it has different um, explanations in there that, were, that was real easy for me to understand when I was just first getting into the Bible. And so I have a, I have a challenge for us. So if you have a favorite Bible, would you be willing to go out and buy another copy of your favorite Bible? Write a small letter that says why it's your favorite Bible and bring it to the church so that we can give it to people who don't have a Bible. If you're willing to do that, bring it to church, give it to me or somebody, we'll hold it to the side and we'll have your letter that we'll be able to hand somebody that needs a Bible. So if you're willing to do that, do that with me, I'm gonna do that. So let's get started. So we're Luke 1, 26 through 37, I'm gonna just read through it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, who was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let me say a prayer for us before uh, I keep going on. Father God, Lord, uh, just ask you to be with us today, God. Be with me today, God. I ask you to um, open our ears, to hear your word, God. Soften our hearts to uh, move as you call us to move, God. Lord, as we uh, learn today about why it's so important for uh, your son to be born of a virgin and to be conceived of the Holy Spirit, God. Lord, I just ask you to use this, this lesson, God, to, uh, to change our lives, Lord. God, Father God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so why does the virgin birth conceived of the Holy Spirit really matter? So again, the creed, we're using the creed to explain doctrinal statements. So why is this an important doctrinal statement for us? Now, as I started digging through this, I am a geek, and I love data. I love to, to just go dig through, find all the data. I like to see all the data in front of me so I can see patterns in it, so that I can understand on a deep level what's going on. And I could try to explain that to you guys today, and we would be out of here tomorrow morning, probably. <laughs> so we're just going to go through three. Three important doctrinal statements that, that are important here, um, and that we're gonna be going through today. The first is, he must be born a man or be human. The second is, he must be infinite man or God, and he must be an innocent man or sinless. So the first two of those statements have a fancy name, and that's what that song was, hypostatic union, which means both fully man and fully God, 200%. And then this is when you guys look at me and you say, math is hard. Because no one can be 200% of something. You're 100% of something. And I would say that, yeah, this is a hard statement to get through. Oftentimes when we think he's fully man, fully God, like our minds will go to something like this. Uh, in Greek mythology, there was a creature called a minotaur. He was, had a human body and the head of a bull. So that, that's sometimes what our minds go to. Or in C.S. Lewis's um, Tales of Narnia, um, talk about Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, was, had a beaver's body, but had the nature of a human. And again, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about 100% man and 100% God. Sorry, my, my mouth is really dry, so I got a drink. All right, so the first section is Jesus is fully man. So let's dig into that a little bit. Jesus started out his human life in the womb, just like everyone since the point that Eve gave birth started off their human life in the womb. Jesus had to eat and drink to live. The creator of the heavens and earth, the creator of water, had to rely on water to live. He had to use the restroom like you and I have to use the restroom. He loved, he cried, 
he slept, he was tempted just like you and me. So why is it important that, that Jesus was 100% human? Because we, because we are sinful by nature because of the curse that was caused by Adam and Eve when they first sinned. Sin. And Romans teaches us that the wages of sin is death, and we need to have a substitute to receive those wages on our behalf. So the problem is only a human can be a substitute for a human. So if Jesus wasn't fully human, then Jesus couldn't be our substitute for our sins. Does that make sense? All right, number two, Jesus is fully God. So Jesus was there in the beginning. Let's go to John 1, 1 through 3. And it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, without him was not anything made that was made. So the word is Jesus. And through these verses, we see that all things were made through him. So when we look through the doctrine of Christology, many theologians will take the time that Jesus came to earth and they'll call it the humiliation of Christ. So the creator of everything lowered himself, humiliated himself to come to earth to be flesh. So Jesus, the creator of all, came to earth to be flesh and he, he maintained all of the attributes of God. He was eternity. He was mercy. He was goodness. He was omni. He was grace. He was righteousness. He was self-existent. He was sovereignty. And he was transcendent. So why is that important? Why is it important that he was all those things when he was on earth? Because only God could take on the sins of the whole world. No man can handle the sins of the whole world and survive. So think about it. In the world today, it, it, you and I included, we come up with new and exciting ways to sin every single day. Every single day. And no single man could take on all of that sin. It would crush him. So we needed God to be able to do that. So on one hand, we need a man to be our substitute. But no man could be our substitute because it would crush him. So on the other hand, we had to have God to be able to take on all that weight. So therefore, we have the hypostatic union where we have fully God that can handle all of that weight and we have fully man who's able to be our substitute. Does that make sense? Hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Now we've learned a new phrase. So the last thing was, Jesus must be an innocent man or sinless. So let's go back to Matthew 1, and we're going to look at the genealogy of Christ. So Matthew 1 and 2, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. 
and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and it continues, and it continues, and it continues. And what I wanted you guys to see here is that there was a specific pattern in the genealogy. So there was a father, and he had a son, and then that son was the father, and he had a son, and then that son was the father, and he had a son. So that's how the genealogy goes. Makes sense. That's how genealogies go. So let's skip to verse 16, and it says this, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. The pattern at that point broke. So we see Jacob, the father of Joseph, and then we see Mary, who Jesus was born. So the Bible here is clearly trying to state that the father of Jesus was no man. Does that make sense? So why is this important? So earlier, I explained how Jesus started off his human life in the womb ever since Eve gave birth, and that's true, but he was not conceived like everyone was conceived since Eve gave birth. So let's go back, we'll look at Luke 1, 34 through 35, and it says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy and the Son of God. So we can see that after Gabriel told Mary that she was with child, Mary was very confused. She was a young woman, teens, young woman, but she knew what it took to be pregnant and she knew she had not done those things yet. So how in the world is this possible? Gabriel told her the Holy Spirit would come over her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. Here we clearly see that Mary was a virgin and the Holy Spirit is the one that conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. So why is a virgin birth important to Jesus being sinless? Because ever since Adam and Eve first sinned, they were cursed and all of their offspring were cursed with a sin nature. And so that has been passed on along genealogies. So if we go back and look at our genealogies, we would go all the way back to Adam and Eve and that sin nature has come all the way to us since we were born. We are born with a sinful nature. Jesus, on the other hand, was conceived of no man. Instead, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, so therefore the curse did not affect him. Does that make sense? So Jesus was perfect. He knew temptation, but he knew no sin. So many theologians call Jesus the last Adam because of this very fact. So Adam fell, sinful nature, all of his children since that point have sinful natures. Jesus comes in and lives the life that is perfect without a sin nature, walks the earth, goes through the same things that we go through, goes through the same temptations that we go through and lives the perfect life. To me, that gives me so much hope 
about trying to live a holy, set-apart life because I was born of a man. I have a sin nature, but because Christ lives inside of me and has gone through the same things that I've gone through and lived the perfect life, he can strengthen me to do the right things. So have you guys seen the commercials from He Gets Us? It's on TV. They're amazing commercials. I love them. Uh, They show the real world around us and they encourage us that Jesus went through the same things that we went through or go through and he gets us. I have one of those commercials. I want you guys to watch this. Check this out. Maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this And see what's behind Got no way to prove it So maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror What do you see? Do you see it clearer? Or are you deceived? In what you believe Cause I'm only human After all Those commercials have gotten so much attention from both believers and non-believers, and they've gotten good and bad attention from both sides of the aisle. It's pretty interesting. Um, I'll leave it at that. It's pretty interesting how uh, they've got that attention. But the message here is, is God's gone through hate. He's gone through, through fighting and through all these things, but yet he lived it perfectly. And he gets us and he knows what we're going through because he was here. He was flesh. He was fully man and understands the things that we go through. When we put this all together, we see that we live in a fallen world. In fact, though, the world has been fallen ever since Adam and Eve first sinned, right? And we have needed a savior ever since that point. But oftentimes what we see is because we are broken, because we are fallen, we look towards ourselves to try to fix our problems. You can look on YouTube and find a million ways of how to fix yourself. You can go to bookstores and you can see books upon books on subjects like, are you depressed? Are you bored? Are you sad? Are you broke? There are whole sections on each one of those subjects about how you can fix yourself. We spend all of our time and our money trying to fix ourselves, but yet we still find that hole missing inside of us because we need a savior. But God didn't leave us to our own devices. He has a plan and had a plan from the beginning. So in Genesis 3, 14 through 15, it says this. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have, you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Your belly, or on your belly you shall go, 
and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and because your offspring, between your offspring and hers, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Guys, that's the first time God preached that he was going to bring a savior. Throughout the Old Testament, we see prophecies about the savior and all are completed with Jesus. So I'm going to go through a couple. In Genesis 22:18, Abraham's offspring, it says Abraham's offspring will bless all nations. Number 17 or numbers 24:17, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Isaiah 11:1 1 says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Jeremiah 23, five through six says, and the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. And Isaiah 17, 14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What I want you to see here is God is not passive. God is moving around us all the time. God has a plan for you. You have a purpose that was appointed by him and he loves us. He gets us because he walked on earth just like we did. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He actually likes us. Now, I love that phrase, he likes us. When I was uh, 19, I was, I was a youth chaperone at a youth camp and uh, I had an incredible time at the camp and I, I had this realization hit me at this camp that I was just on fire for. And it was, God not only loves us, and I kind of, I felt like when I would say God loves us, it was almost like an obligation. Well, we are his kids, so he kind of has to love us, right? And so uh, I know that's not, that's not the way I should think, but that's where I was when I was 19. And then I had this realization that not only does God love me, but he likes me and he wants to hang out with me. He wants to be in relationship with me. And it just changed my whole perspective about everything. Now, I was dating my wife, Chris, at that point. And so uh, I came home from the, uh, from the camp and Chris, at that point, I don't believe she was a believer. I believe she was interested but not yet a believer. And um, I came home and I said, you know, God loves you. She's like, yeah, I know, God loves me. And I said, but did you know he likes you? He wants to spend time with you. And I, I pounded her for like 20 minutes. He likes you, he likes you. She started crying and I thought, ooh, God's really moving. It was really, she was just mad at me because I wouldn't shut up. <laughs> but it's so true that God likes us and he wants to be in a relationship with us. The thing about God is nothing is impossible at all. 
the God who created the universe out of nothing. And let me stop there. That's impossible, right? It's completely impossible. You can't create something out of zero matter because there's no matter, we can't create it, right? The, the natural law says we can't, doesn't matter. The God who was born of a virgin and lived a life as a man and went through this broken world likes you and wants to have a relationship with you. So today in our circumstances, we may think like we're in an impossible place. My marriage is way too far gone for any hope of reconciliation. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. There is hope. You may be struggling with addiction. It may have its claws deep inside of you. And everything that you've done in the past to try to get out of it has not worked and failed. And you may, you may be saying to yourself, I just can't. I can't do it. Well, you're right, you can't. But God can. Let go and let God. You may be ready. You may be tired. You may just be ready to give up. But don't. Let God. So our example today, God took a virgin girl and told her she was going to have God. Can you imagine? You're 13 and, and an angel comes to you and says, you're about to have God. And she freaks out at first going, how? And she says, God's got it. And he did. And it worked out. Nothing is impossible for God. Oftentimes we see impossible and we'll just freak out. Um, man, there's been so many instances in my life where I felt like I'm in an impossible place. Just, I don't see any hope for anything to, to get any better. But God moved and he changed the circumstances around me in a way that I thought was impossible. And it's not. The impossible is God's playground. That's his space to have fun and do his thing. And that's what he does. It's awesome. So today, I want you to know that he has a plan. Nothing is impossible. And his plan is including your salvation. No matter how far you think you are from God, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've messed up, no matter where you've been, no matter if you feel like there's no way God could love me, nothing is impossible with God. Today, in these verses, we see that God not only loves us, but he likes us. He likes you. God, a God that pursues us even in our mess. He still pursues us and he wants to be a part of, of our relationship. That God has a plan for you. Yes, you, a God who came to earth as a perfect man, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, who took on, the sin, took on your sins, and took your place in death 
so that you could be saved. So my question for you today is, do you know him? Has there been a time in your life when you've looked at everything you're doing and you know there's no way you've lived up to this perfect expectation? You've tried to fix it. You've tried to, do, to, to live up to it, but you know you can't. You can't be good enough. You can't be nice enough. You can't be good enough husband, good enough mother. You can't be a good enough son or daughter. But what did God do? He created a plan for you. He stepped out of heaven and came to earth. He was 100% man and 100% God and lived a perfect sinless life to be our substitute on the cross in only the way that he could do it because he was the sacrifice that took on the world's sin. He died and he rose again so that we could be forgiven and we could have life. Do you know Jesus? If you don't, today I want to give you an opportunity to get to know him. Everyone bow your heads. So in just a second, we're going to pray. And I want you to ask this question. Do you know him? If you were to die today, would you spend eternity with him? If the answer is, well, I'm not sure, or I've been a pretty good person, or I go to church. Well, that's not the right answer. The answer is Jesus. So how do we know Jesus? The Bible says we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. He is our King. And we have to believe in our hearts that God has raised us from the dead like he raised Jesus so that we could be saved. So if you want to know Jesus as a Savior, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about the words I'm going to use, but it's just guiding you in a conversation with God. So if you want that, pray this with me today. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up in my life and I've fallen short of what you want for me. God, I'm thankful that you love me so much that you sent your son to come to earth to die for me. Your son Jesus was buried and rose again three days later, proving that he is God. Today, I acknowledge my sins and I ask you to forgive me and come into my life and be my savior and Lord, amen. So the Bible says that if you had that conversation with God, then you have been forgiven and made whole in his sight. You are now a new creation. Your old life has been buried and your new life is now here. Another part of God's plan for us is he doesn't want us living life alone. He has you in this church full of Christian brothers and sisters who want to walk in life with you through the ups and the downs. So if you made that decision, in a few seconds, we're going to sing a song and I want you to come forward. I want you to tell us the decision that you've made so that we can celebrate with you, but also so that we can start walking with you in life because that's what God wants for us. Also in a second, when we pray, if you have a prayer request, if you're in a spot where you're like, I am, it's impossible. I don't see a way out. 
come forward and let us pray for you as you give it up and let God in his playground work the impossible. Everyone stand and let's sing.